I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, the layperson's guide to enjoying music's benefits. This episode is airing in early September, which here in the United States means the end of summer, beginning of fall, and the start of a brand new school year. It's kind of like New Year's. We're starting anew with a fresh slate, and it's the perfect time to reboot with a fresh schedule and fresh expectations at home. Thus, the topic of today's episode. I am thrilled to have on the podcast today Cynthia Richards, author of How to Get Your Child to Practice, dot, 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 without resorting to violence. <laughs> Love the title of the book. Cynthia is a performing violinist and teacher. She has been on the faculty at Brigham Young University and Utah Valley University. In addition to writing How to Get Your Child to Practice, Cynthia has both co-authored and compiled several other publications. Welcome, Cynthia. Well, I'm just excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Absolutely. The Enhanced Life with Music podcast is all about augmenting our lives with the inspiration and enrichment of music. I immediately thought of you and I thought of guests because I figured what better way to spread the joy of music than to equip children to learn to play a musical instrument. And I have to say right off the bat that I adore the title of your book. It is, it's playful and not sugarcoating it at the same time. You know, it just kind of says it like it is. It takes a playful look at the reality that as adults, we do have this nuanced perspective on the joys and challenges of playing a musical instrument that we didn't have as a child. I know you've experienced what I have, and that is many adults commenting to me that they wish they could play a musical instrument. They wish their parents had made them practice. This hindsight makes them really want to provide their own children with a gift of playing a musical instrument. Yet these very same parents can really struggle with the concept of making their own children practice, and they they want music lessons to be fun. So I guess starting out, what what is the big deal about being able to play a musical instrument? What are the benefits? Why do we want this as adults? Why do we want it for our children? I think the benefit would be just as they've been touched themselves by good music and uh, musical experiences themselves, perhaps as a listener, then they wish that they could participate. Okay. Uh, so I think that that would be... You know, everybody's different, and so their background, they would bring whatever experience came to them and and have, have that longing mm-hmm. for, you know, which I could have been, I wish I could have gotten into this more when I had that opportunity. Sure. It's kind of interesting. When I was getting ready to place this call, I told my own children to be quiet <laughs> because I said, <laughs> if I can hear you, my microphone can hear you. <laughs> and my, my kids had just gotten home from swim practice and my daughter was planning on making lunch for them. And I told her to turn her music off because I could hear it. And she was just, she's like, mom, you of all people should understand. I can't make lunch without my music on. I need my music. <laughs> and I think, you know, as adults, we realize how that enjoyment of music is just taken to a whole nother level when we're actually making it and creating it ourselves. Oh, that's absolutely right. And in the creating of it, it's, that, that is an awesome piece of it. My parents gave me this great gift and because they did not have it when they, they were children of the Depression, so they didn't have those opportunities. Mm. And so they were determined that their children, of course, would have that opportunity. And so they paid for the lessons. They gave me that opportunity, and so it was such a huge, rich part of my life that I couldn't think of 
not giving that to my own children. <laughs> I just feel like everyone needs to have um, some concept of the tonal universe out there, you know, and the great gift that we've been given from composers. And it's just such a rich heritage if you have orchestral experience or just any kind of musical experience. I had one neighbor who came to me as I was sort of in the, well, I hadn't thought about writing a book or anything, but she she came to me and she says, well, what impresses me about you, Cynthia, is that you haven't given up on any of your children. I mean, they all do it. Mm. And so from that comment, I thought, you know, I guess there are parents out there who really don't get how this works. Sure. And the th- things that I've learned and through that process. And so that's, I guess that's how I got started with writing that book. That's fascinating to hear the the story of how the book came to be. I love the phrase that you use, the tonal universe. I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that before, and that really kind of caught my attention. I love that concept. You talk in your book quite a bit. You make a really great case for all students playing a musical instrument, whether they're those rare children who enjoy practicing or not. <laughs> and you talk about some of the skills that are learned through private music lessons, uh, life lessons, like problem solving discipline. Talk to me about some of those life lessons that are gained in the process of, of learning to play a musical instrument. Well, th- those are life lessons of, of discipline, of seeing what it takes to succeed at something, right? the, the practice. But those are lessons that you learn after you've had some help learning them. I mean, nobody's born with a desire to work. And Mm -hmm. so that's where the parents come in is helping them because it's the nature of people that to avoid things that are hard. Mm -hmm. So so if you can help them to hang in there, it teaches them reward for hard work. Mm. So it helps them to develop a kind of vision for, okay, if I did this little thing, then I I can do something bigger. Mm. And I can actually accomplish what I'm dreaming about. The thing is, is that I learned so much about being a parent in the practice room because I found out what worked and what didn't. And certainly getting angry did not work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> that came to an end really quick, you know, if, I, <laughs> if that happened. But uh, as long as I could think of ways to get the kids to do what I asked them to, because I wasn't leaving, I'm there, you know, with still <laughs> a smile on my face. And you just mm-hmm. have to really pat them on the back after they do it, even if it, they, they hate I told you so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. There's a quote in your book that I love. <laughs> in your book, you say, practicing is not a childlike activity. Although human musical interests may be innate, the discipline, vision, and willingness to endure are not. Children love to play their instruments, not to practice them. The process of practicing over and over to perfect a certain technique is biologically and psychologically opposed to a child's nature. Right. (laughs) There. (laughs) I wrote it back then, and I still believe it. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of sums it up, I guess. I love how you normalize child the the nature of children and how practicing wanting to practice and enjoying practice as a child isn't normal so don't worry if your kids don't want to practice and get excited about practicing right Right. well after i i've done this with several children saying you know this is an expectation thing i mean i'm just Mm. expecting them to be resistant really rotten i remember my the one son who kicked the piano and <laughs> and you know, and I had to and who we were, you know, trying to get rid of the whining because it was just too hard. I I just expected him now. So I had to go in there enthusiastic no matter what happened the day before. 
mm-hmm. and practicing and say, you know, this is a new, this is a new day. Oh, <laughs> My wow. expectation there is just that, yeah, this is, this is hard work. And, you know, you don't really love to do something until you can do it. Mm-hmm. And so if you can just, the, the, just one little step that day that they can do something that they couldn't do before mm-hmm. will help urge them on. And so that my goal was to help them become successful and eventually to love the music itself. And then it was self-motivating. And I, I remember doing a survey to colleagues who were music professors and asking them, well, what was your turning point? And there were turning points where they didn't have to have outside motivators or help, that the music yeah. itself, it, that was the thing that motivated them to, to practice and do the hard work. Mm, did you find any patterns in those turning points? Was it kind of a, did it tend to be a moment of accomplishment where they hung in there, they showed grit, and they were able to learn something that was really challenging? You know, I, th- I think it was different for different people. Like sometimes success, their own success was the motivator and they're able to do. Sometimes it was the music itself. I think it was kind of individual. It happened usually around junior high school age, you know, high school, maybe an orchestral experience, something that was really musically outstanding in the symphony or where they just were really motivated. Yeah, I I really love doing this. I want to keep doing it. I want to get good. Mm -hmm. One one benefit that I see for sure in students is that grit or frustration tolerance, being able to hang in there through that and persevere. I've had so many students, and I'm sure you have too, who are incredibly smart. And they're able to get by for a while, progressing in music lessons without really having to apply themselves a whole lot because they're they're very bright. They catch on very quickly. They may be well-coordinated. But they do get to that point where in order to get their hands to do what their brain is telling the hands to do, they they just have to practice. They, they can't do it otherwise. They really have to work at it. And I've had parents tell me music lessons is the best thing for my child because otherwise they never experience this frustration because they're so bright, things come easily to them. And this is the first time I've heard my, my child screaming, yelling, crying, (laughs) maybe kicking the piano like you mentioned. And some parents specifically want their children to stay in music lessons because they recognize the value of that. They recognize the value of experiencing frustration, struggling through it, and being successful and feeling that accomplishment. Yeah, that is is so true. And I think those who become professional musicians, I read a study on this, I can't remember where it was now, but one of the articles in a professional magazine where it was stated that it wasn't necessarily the brightest, most talented who eventually became the professional musician. It was that quality of being able to hang in there, you know, and that emanation. Mm. So it was a different, it was a different quality of character than it was just sheer talent. Yes. Well, to sum up this subject of the nature of practicing versus the nature of children, I'm just going to read another quote from your book that I really liked. And it is, so when I hear a mother say that her child quit music lessons because he or she didn't like to practice, I am unsympathetic. Of course, the child didn't like to practice. It is normal for children not to want to practice. They are children. Everything is against the probability that they will enjoy practicing because of the complexity of the task and because of their immaturity. It is unfair to expect children to shoulder the entire burden themselves without the continual help and encouragement from an adult in the family. 
So that takes us to the next question. What do we do about it? Uh, and and you, you led right into this with your other statement. The fact that your child doesn't like to practice is not an indication of lack of talent or that the ch- child shouldn't study music. Mm-hmm. It just means he or she is normal and that you should find ways to provide encouragement. So how do we provide that encouragement? I know you mentioned that with you in your in your family with your children it was an expectation and i do think that's really key right uh it's an expectation it's kind of part of the habit you get up you eat breakfast you brush your teeth you practice piano you know just something that's right. an expected part of the day so talk to me some more about uh how parents can provide encouragement how they can create habits of practicing it was really a scheduling thing. And so that's the step one in the encouragement. And then I remember since we had to get up early, often would take them in something to eat. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> of course, it, a lot of that depends on the age that they're at. You talk in your book about setting up family rules for practicing and using natural consequences if the rules are not complied with. What are some natural consequences, some ideas for that that you may have used or can recommend to parents? Well, a natural consequence is just not playing. You don't get to play until your practicing is done. I mean, that's, and they all, they know that that's a rule. And so it's their choice. So that's natural mm-hmm. since uh, it's not something that you would impose if they didn't know ahead of time what, what was going to be the consequence. Sure. I can't remember if this was in your book or I've just heard this from other parents, but one incentive that they've used for students is if you go practice after dinner, you don't have to clean up. We'll clean up. Yeah, I, I think that's a great incentive. I think incentives are actually really such a great idea. I mean, if you get a reward for doing hard work, I mean, you should have a reward mm-hmm. for doing it. I, I, I know that adults and parents get hung up because they feel like they're bribing their children. Mm. But I just don't even, it's not a bribe. A bribe is something you give to someone ahead of time for something that's not a good thing. Mm. <laughs> Sure, but if, if if they earn it, if they earn it, then they should have a reward. And so sometimes those rewards are the things that they are after first. Until at some point or other, they're going to love the music because they can do it. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Coming back to eventually, the goal is the intrinsic motivation. And whenever I was, whenever I gave rewards, I never felt like it was a permanent thing or I was locked into anything mm. because it usually it didn't. It didn't take that long with an external reward to uh, to get to the feeling of success mm. or the feeling of enjoying the music. I am totally for rewards mm. <laughs> and incentives. Mm-hmm. There, there is a hierarchy of levels of motivation. I think I mentioned that in the book. The top one is the joy inherent in the activity, which is the music itself. Mm. But you know, we don't expect him to get there automatically. The next one down is the feelings of self-worth. Mm. And so that's when you feel confident and you're, and you're, you know, you're feeling good about yourself because you can do something, whether it's music or whatever. And then there's the human relationships. I'm practicing because my mom wants me to do it and I love her and I respect what she wants me to do. And I, oh, and I really like my teacher. Mm. So I'm going to practice for my teacher. And this is where great teachers really are helpful. Mm. And that's not music, but the teacher, and this is why a beginning teacher is so, so important, you know, to have a good one. And then on the bottom of that hierarchy are rewards and consequences. And I mean, I, maybe I, I didn't remember consequences so much is because I didn't have, I didn't use them that much okay. because I didn't think they were as effective as the rewards. Uh-huh. But I 
have to judge if this is where my child is at, then that's where I've got to meet him. Mm. You know, so if rewards, I mean, if they, they don't care who'd about <laughs> the song <laughs> or, like, or whatever, I, I don't care if I learn this or not. But if you can set something out that, that they do care about, you know, as a reward and as an incentive, then that's going to work. My goal was to bump them up there to that top level of motivation. Oh. And, and, we got there, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. The hierarchy. I love that. Well, a couple other things that you include in the book about what we can do, what we can do about it, the the lack of interest in practicing. One is don't allow yourself to get emotionally involved or upset when conflicts arise. Be friendly, be matter of fact, but don't give in. I, I really liked that. Another uh, tip that you had included is enjoy the music they make and praise them for their successes. Right. That's really important because praise goes a long way. But even if you just enjoy it, it's like, oh, yeah, mom, mom likes what I'm doing here. And, and that's another piece of the puzzle of getting them to see and feel the music themselves if they can see someone else enjoying what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember as a kid growing up playing, uh, taking piano lessons uh, my dad was a really great support in in my piano lessons and really demonstrated an interest in in my lessons, my music. He just always was very supportive of of my music education. And I remember on the weekends, him occasionally coming into the living room when I was going to start. Uh, actually, it wasn't even practicing; it was more playing because there is a difference <laughs> between practicing piano and playing piano. So when uh, often on the weekends, my practicing sessions were probably taken care of and he would say, please just play for me. And he would lie down on the couch and just close his eyes and relax and just he would want me to play as long as I would play for him. And just the the knowledge that he valued what I was doing and really um, appreciated it and enjoyed it, I think meant more to me than what I for sure realized at the time. Oh, absolutely. That and so I and I contrast that. I mean, that is really critical. I mean, that's that's an important thing that parents can do, just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And but in contrast to that, my husband's father, he had the unhappy experience of his dad, you know, paying him to practice, but he had to do it when he when the dad wasn't home. Oh <laughs> isn't that I mean that contrast- would be disheartening. <laughs> It's really disheartening. So how motivating is that? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so one, fi- one final tip that you had in the book is look for stumbling blocks and do your best to remove them. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's the wrong instrument or, you know, you want them to become musicians. You don't really care what they play or if they, you know, sing. Mm-hmm. So that could be a stumbling. One can be a bad relationship between you and him or her. Mm. Yeah. So that is, that's one, something that you can work on so your relationship so that that human relationship part can be actually a part of the puzzle of motivation if your relationship is good so that could be a stumbling block if the two of the parent and child are just not you know they're always at odds mm-hmm. a great summary in your book of this topic is the mere presence of a structured routine is conducive to motivation if practicing is left to be done whenever the child feels like it, it is too easy to be distracted from it. And then the parent starts to nag. <laughs> Parents, too, must be careful to give practicing top priority during the de- designated practice time, not allowing other chores or responsibilities to interfere. Mm-hmm. 
If the child senses the importance of practicing and receives encouragement in upholding the time commitment, he or she will usually not question what is expected for that time period, even though at times the motivation may be weak. Mm -hmm. I like what you say here, too. When parents find themselves nagging, it should trigger a response in them that says, it's time to use fewer words and more action. (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> and, and then you say, be sure it is something which requires little or no verbalization, which I thought was really profound because otherwise, as parents, we don't want this to come in between our relationship with our children. It's, it's not worth that. And it doesn't have to come between our relationship with our kids. And the less nagging and verbalization, the better. Right. I was really interested. I, you probably know this. I've heard of this book, A Battle Him with a Tiger Mother by Amy Chua. Yes, yes. I've read it. I loved it. <laughs> uh, I did too. Very entertaining writer. Yes. She's a wonderful writer. And I'm so glad that she wrote this because, I mean, sometimes it's easy. I mean, she had to make a choice. I, I was interested in her result mm-hmm. because she describes, you know, the almost total destruction of a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's her daughter, and she had to make that choice between the relationship and, and the music. And I'm, I'm yes. glad that she, she opted for the relationship. Right. But I mean, I think that it was a wonderful contrast. I mean, I'm really glad that she brought this out because that relationship all the way along, I mean, if she maybe had had a few tips or whatever, you know, in trying <clears throat> not to use coercion, mm-hmm. then it might have gotten that, you know, that daughter so that she loved the music and didn't have to rebel. <laughs> sure. So I, I'm thinking that that is really an important part. And that's the, hence the title, you know, without having to resort to the violence. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very good. I want to touch on one thing quickly. Children who do like to practice, they're rare, but they do exist. Yes, they do. In your book, you say they are neither abnormal nor especially gifted. They have probably been helped to achieve a routine that is acceptable to them and from which they have been able to develop a level of competence, which is rewarding to them. Children are individuals and as such are different from one another. Some children who like to solve puzzles may find practicing to be like solving a puzzle or a math problem. There are many reasons why children do or don't like to practice. For most children, there are times when they like to practice and times when they don't. It's human nature. The motivators for each child are, are going to be a little bit different. That's for sure. And so I think you just have to be observant. But the cool thing about practicing with your kids when they're young is, is that you learn about them. And when you learn things about them, you learn what motivates them in your in your always trying to get inside of their head and, you know, and trying to find out what means something, what they love, what they don't. I think it just really helps parents to identify the individual characteristics of each of their children. Mm. And each one has a different capacity. So you just don't expect the same thing from each child. I could not agree more. I only have two children, but I remember when the second one came along thinking, well, this will be efficient. I kind of got the hang of the first one, and I can just do that with the second one. And I found out quickly that did not not work at all. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? It is, yes. Very interesting. But it makes life it makes life amazing, you know, into a new challenge. Yes, I agree. I agree. 
Well, in wrapping things up here for our improv segment, which is sort of a try this at home, some kind of a hack or an experiment that listeners could do right away, I recommend reading your book. It's fantastic. Where can we get a hold of your your book? It is available on Amazon with a shipping and handling fee. I did see that the Kindle version is available on Amazon. Yes, the Kindle version is about $10, I think. Okay. And I, I also noticed there were some of the old used orange copies. I mean, my, the updated copy is a smaller book with its blue. Mm-hmm. I noticed that there were some a lot of used copies out there, which was kind of surprising to me. I can offer a book to people who are interested. If they want to email me, then we'll just send them a PayPal re- money request. Wonderful. Yeah, tell me your email address. We'll include this in the, in the show notes as well. So it would be C-R-I-C-H at C-R-I-C-H. 8136. So crich8136 at Q. That's a small letter Q.com. And if they put a code word, how about Mindy12? So we'll sell something for $12 and that'll be free shipping. And uh, I'm going to say for the, the work I've been recently been in the last 20 years, been developing a, a string curriculum based on Kodai principles and music education. So I do have a blog. If anybody wants to or is interested in my string teaching work, they can uh, go to Kodai Strings. That's K-O-D-A-L-Y-S-T-R-I-N-G-S, KodaiStrings.com. And there's a lot of information there about my philosophies of music education and my implementation of those principles of music ed. You can send them to advancedartsmusic.com. So you can see my you know, list of publications there that are for sale. Got it. And I will include those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your generosity and time and, and joining us and contributing to the podcast today. And thank you so much for putting this gem of a book out into the world. It's fantastic. Uh, and hopefully we'll introduce many other people to the book and and then indirectly introducing children to learning a musical instrument. All right. You're very welcome. It was fun to talk to you. For this episode's coda, Cynthia provided a recording of her second-year violin students performing for music educators attending a Kodali certification workshop. Cynthia provided a photo as well, which you'll find in the show notes. Enjoy this joyful music making. listeners for joining us today. I would like to feature some of you on the show by sharing your improv recommendations. 
Each episode right now includes an improv from our guest, a try this at home experiment or hack that will enhance listeners' lives with music. Future episodes will also include a listener improv submitted by one of you. Send me your improv suggestions by email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com, or by commenting on my website, mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast, or by commenting on the latest episode's post on Facebook or LinkedIn. There are icon links to both of those sites on my webpage. I'll also include links in the show notes. I'll kick off this new segment today by sharing a hack of mine that makes me smile every time my phone rings. I used a free app years ago called Tone Crusher to turn songs I love into ringtones. So now whenever I get a text, I hear it's the sound of sunshine by Michael Franti and Spearhead. And how can you not smile when you hear that? You can set different song ringtones for different people and different functions. For example, I have one song ringtone for calls, one for texts, and I use different songs for favorites like my husband, Matt Carney, Billion, Only Want to Be With You, and kids. So I know just by the sound of the ring if it's one of them trying to contact me. I look forward to hearing your suggestions and including one in next week's episode. When you submit it, be sure to include your name and where you're from. In closing, if you have a smart speaker, remember you can listen to the show by saying Alexa or Hey Google, play Enhanced Life with Music Podcast. To automatically receive the next episode and help others find the show, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast app you use. Please tell a friend about us and tell us your suggestions for topics and guests at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. That page is also where you'll find show notes and where you can tell us your listener improv. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music. Music.